Hey, good morning. Hey, if you are here in the room or you're joining us online, uh, we're really glad that all of you are here with us today. I'm Charlie, uh, the lead pastor here. And I just wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. Uh, I'm so glad uh, that all of you are here with us on that day. And I hope that all, uh, all the people in your life are helping to make you feel special and just want you to know um, that we at the church really love and value you. And in addition to that, Oh, it's always important for me to say that I know that for a lot of people, because of varying types of loss, this day is a very, uh, it's a difficult day, and I just want you to know that as a church and as your family, we, um, we see and feel that too, and love and support you in that as well. And um, if you were here last week, I mentioned this kind of more in a more extended way. I'm just going to re- remind you again, because I know that not everybody's here every week, but um, we're looking to our next budget year starting in July. Um, we're really hoping that this what it's going to mean is going to just like a, a like the, the journey to normal will be almost, if not completely, complete by then. And as such, we kind of need to relaunch our budget a little bit. Things we've been kind of holding things back a little bit. You know, we haven't spent as much, so that giving has been down hasn't really been that big of a deal. Uh, but we need kind of things to come back. And so, as you are kind of reflexing your muscles and reengaging. I encourage you to consider your giving with The Grove. You can go to thegrovechurch.org slash give. That's the easiest, simplest way to do it. Uh, we need some people, probably just between now and the end of this budget year, which ends in June, a couple of one-time gifts to kind of help us. But then big picture, really, it's pretty simple to say. We need about, about, about 50-ish families. To, if they all, 50-ish families increase their giving just by $100 a month, we would, be, um, we would have all that we need for what it is we feel like God's calling us to do and the ministries that we have, and so I just encourage you as you're, as you're thinking about this, talking about as a family, to consider your giving with the growth. So we're in Colossians, and this week I was reminded, how, I don't know how many old school um, people we have here, um, how many people um, in their church, are, are, do you know what a royal ambassador is, or RAs, who know, okay, okay, I get first service a little more old school than you, but that's okay. Royal ambassadors, RAs, it was essentially kind of a class of sorts for uh, grade school age boys um, at the church that I grew up in. It was on every Wednesday night, and it was this class, and, and they could never get a consistent teacher for it. And so there was, ne- there was supposed to be a program, there was never really a program, there was just one guy who did it for a whole year, and all we did was we did coin collecting. I mean, we didn't talk about Jesus at all. He would just bring like a, like a giant bag of pennies, and then we had these little books, and we would try to find the right dates, and it was, it was awesome. And we got the nickels, and then after nickels, he was like, bros, we're done. And, um, but he was great, loved him. And so it was, but it was, it was just this program for elementary-age boys on Wednesday night at our church. He said, so the teachers would be different. And I remember one uh, Wednesday... And this is a kind of a really, it's kind of, kind of a core memory for me. I, like, I remember a lot about this. And this will give you a little bit of insight into the journey of 12-year-old Charlie at his church growing up. And we were there. I remember, I remember exactly the classroom. I remember exactly where the classroom was. I remember where I was sitting. I remember everything about this, right? And we had a, a substitute. She says, okay, I'm going to be your teacher at RAs this week. And today we're going to talk about the Bible. And I'm thinking, oh, that's pretty good. I like the, I like the Bible. It's going to be good. I like the Bible. And he said, everybody get a Bible. So if you didn't, you didn't necessarily bring your Bible on Wednesday, I didn't as a kid, so there were Bibles in the classroom, so everybody had one. I was like, I'm going to tell you a few things about the Bible. If you place your Bible directly on the ground, that is sin. If you place your Bible on the table and put 
anything else on top of it. That is sin. If you carry your Bible underneath your arm and have anything on top of it on the outside, that is sin. If you flip through the pages of your Bible too fast, that is sin. If you get any dirt on your Bible, that is sin. And I'm sitting there going, all right. And she's got, and she goes, does anybody have any questions? And again, I wasn't quite into full form <laughs> that I would have been, say, if it had been 15-year-old Charlie Lofton. But there, I was, remember sitting there looking at like, I remember thinking, because I still had my moments even at that age. And I was like, is this one of those moments? And she seemed real angry, and she was friends with my parents. And I was just like, this, this doesn't seem like the time. So I didn't say anything. I just let it go. But I'm telling you, in that moment, there's a lot that changed for me. And I don't want to use a bad word here. But I remember sitting there just thinking in that moment, this is not true. This is, this is bad. And it really kind of opened my eyes a little bit and kind of began a journey for this, this sense of like, something's, something's not right here. The way that they're pointing us towards God and, and, and the things that they are saying, something's not right. And, it, and again, it, 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 was, it, was a, it was a key turning point, I would say, in my life as far as who I really believed God to be and what does he want from us. And there's a thing, man, it, it's, really, it's really easy to do. It's, it's, it's free laughs, it's free, easy intro for a sermon to kind of mock the, the fringes and the silliest examples of kind of religion and its rules. That, you know, religion is about rules and it's about following rules and this is how some people implement that and you talk about these things kind of out there on the fringe and it's just kind of easy to mock and it's easy to laugh at but what's harder is really how the subtleties of that even for those of us who can reject this the subtleties of that kind of hang out in us and honestly what I think that is even more difficult is figuring out what it is I'm supposed to replace that with Okay, if it's, if it's not about following the rules, then, then what is it? And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, we've been kind of walking through Colossians, and, um, and really, the, essentially, the story here is, is that Paul has, um, Paul has uh, there's this group of Christians in, in Colossians, and they've, they've, they're new to their faith, they're starting to walk in their faith, and suddenly this group of outsiders comes in. This group of outsiders comes in and says, you think that you understand what it means to be a Christian, but you don't really. It really is, you, you need to follow Jesus, but there's also all of these rituals and rules that you need to follow, and you can trust me because I am, you know, I have had this great experience, and I, and I understand more about God, and I, I had this vision of this angel, and Jesus isn't quite, his death on the cross didn't quite do as much as you think that it did. And it really requires you to do all these things. And so Paul, having heard that this has happened to the Colossians, um, write, essentially writes back to them and says, hey, you, you got to get a few things straight. 
And in the second part of Colossians chapter 1, uh, we see this kind of this beautiful statement by Paul about how powerful and big and amazing Jesus is. Because they're trying to make Jesus and his power small because that, that's, that's why it makes sense. Well, I've got to do more. If Jesus' death only did this much, I've got to figure out the rest. He's like, no, you don't understand how big Jesus is. This is the God of the universe who created everything in the universe, who sustains the universe, who holds it all together he, he is God himself. This is not some small. When, when we say that Jesus died for you, we're saying that the creator God of the universe sacrificed himself for you. And that is a really, really big deal. And then the first part of chapter 2, the Mark comes in behind it. It was like, and, and listen, Paul says this. There's a great mystery here. Something that you need to understand that this Jesus, the creator and sustainer of the universe, his power and presence can be in you. I know that doesn't make sense. I know it sounds weird and how it works is very mysterious. But you need to understand, that's what Christian life is. The power and the presence of the God of the universe dwelling inside of your heart and your mind and Him being inside your life. That is, that's what this is. And so if Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the universe and he's holding everything together, and his power and his presence can live in you, the next thing that happens in the second part of Colossians 2 is like, therefore, Paul says, therefore, don't worry about these religious rules. Don't let anybody judge you based on what you eat, what you drink. Don't let anybody judge you based on when and how you worship and whether or not you participate in these different festivals or not. That's not what this is about. We're talking about the presence of God inside you and you're worried about how, whether or not you can eat certain types of meat. You've, you're, you're, you're missing it. And then he ends that passage at the end of, of chapter 2 and he says something really powerful. And what he says is, now, people who are like this, who follow all of these rules, who are very rigid in their application of varying laws and principles and and, and only worship this way at this time, and don't do this, and do this, and follow all these rules. I mean, there's a certain beauty to it. There's a certain wisdom to it. There's a sense in which it, you know, it, it, really, it really makes sense. And it seems really violent, like, like they seem really disciplined. Like, man, you're so disciplined, and, and, and there's a spiritualness to it. He says, but here's the problem. It lacks any value in restraining sensual desires, to really what's going on in the sin of your heart. Said another way, 12-year-old Charlie could have done everything right with how he was handling his Bible, all perfect with Bible etiquette. And it was doing nothing to restrain the lust and the anger that was emerging in prepubescent Charlie Lofton. Anger and lust were about to overwhelm me. And where I placed my Bible wasn't going to help me with that at all. And I think that we all understand that just simply trying to follow the rules doesn't really accomplish the thing on the inside. And so what tends to happen with people if they try to follow some rules-based religion typically one of two things happen. It's not working, so I find another group with different, better, or maybe more strict rules. Or you do, which is part of the journey that I went on post-12 years old, maybe all of this is pointless. 
Or maybe there's something different and better and real out there. Maybe there's a third option, and Paul is going to describe that for us in Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We'll look first at verses 1 through 4 of Colossians chapter 3. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seating at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died... And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Basically what Paul's saying is, man, we all live our lives right here. What I see, what I taste, what I experience, what I want. I see things I wanted, I don't want it. I'm trying to not do this, I'm trying to do this. Like all, everything I do and everything, my, my life is right here in the things. And again, it's what Paul's, Paul's making a reference to like, and what you eat, what you drink, when and how you worship, and festivals. Not like Your mind is all right here on, do I want that? Is this good for me? Is this bad for me? This is, this is where I am. He's like, you've been raised with Christ. This is no longer where your life is. You need to figure out that your life is with Him, and He's up here, and so you need to change and stop looking at everything here and feel like this is where life is. Life is actually up here where Jesus is on the things above. Your life is up there. And so ultimately what he's calling us to is to change your focus. We have a, fo- we, we have a focus problem. It's like I think that the key to everything in life is what I do or don't do with the things that I can see in this world. And so then, then it's about... Avoiding all of the bad things and doing all of the good things. That's what life is because that's, that's what I see. That's what I'm experiencing. And Paul's like, that's not where life is. Life is up here. What if you decided instead of looking down here all the time, you were going to look up there at Jesus who is up there with God and put, put your focus there. And I remember there was this really significant shift in focus for me that happened. I was in college and I was reading through the book of Romans. And he's going on and on. Paul's going on and on about how, about how gracious God is, about how God forgives, and about how, you know, that there isn't anything that can separate you from God, no matter what you do, no matter what happens. And I was like, over and over, God is so forgiving. There's no sin that God won't forgive. And no matter what happens, you know, God will forgive you. And, and he's just going on and on about it. And then there comes this point where he's like, now hold up, guys. I'm going to make sure that we're clear on something. I'm not saying you can do whatever you want. And I remember something kind of, kind of I don't want to say snapped because that's bad. Something clicked in my brain. I was like, he's talking about the forgiveness and love of grace in God so much that he has to remind us that we, this doesn't mean we can do whatever we want. There was never one moment in my life growing up where I thought anybody, an RA, Sunday school, preaching on the stage, anytime, anybody, I thought anybody was saying anything close to, you know, I walk away from that, I walked away from that, I, I think he thinks I can do whatever I want. I think he thinks my sin doesn't matter. I never once got that impression. In fact, it was the opposite. Do this, do this, don't, 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 do, don't, do, don't. But it's not based on what your works are. Jesus will forgive you. A focus change. I need to have a focus on the big and powerful 
gracious goodness of God. And if I put my brain up there, all of a sudden, things start to change. Um, this is pretty well known in Grove folklore, for those of you who have been around a while. If you're new or you're visiting with us, this may be new information to you. But there's a rule, one of the rules in the Lofton house is as soon as you are tall enough to ride a ride, you must ride it. It does not matter if you are scared or frightened. It does not matter what you think about it. Once it is tall, once you are exactly this tall, me and you are going on it. And I, for Maylie's 23, so I guess for 20-ish years now, I've taken many a crying kid onto a ride they didn't want to ride. And you may think that makes me a great dad. It makes me a, 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 a bad Dad, I don't really care. You can't judge me. My focus is up here. Like I just, uh, a couple of things come to mind because our youngest, Layla, who is now nine, um, she was taller at younger ages than our older two were. So my worst stories, or best stories again, are with her. And she was four years old, and we were at Disney World, and I took her on a ride whose name, I swear to you, the name of the ride is Tower of Terror. <laughs> Terror is in the name of the ride, and it's a drop ride, and it's got little scary elements to it in the theming, and it's one of these things, it's completely dark, and you're up here, it just drops you, and it, it's random how it drops you, and she's four years old, and she's crying, and she's like, I don't know. And the picture, I take a picture of you in this ride, and I can show it to you, and you'd be like, I don't, I don't see Layla in that, in that picture. You're like, you sure don't. Sure, her head is in my lap, and she's clutching on to me the whole time. At six years old, uh, it's about two and a half years later, we were um, at Disney World again, and she was finally tall enough to ride Rock and Roller Coaster, which is a completely in the dark roller coaster that sits you right here, and it shoots you off, and in two seconds, you're doing 60 miles an hour doing loops and, and inverted, all sorts of fun little things like that. And again, she's crying the whole time in the line. And, um, and I was a little nervous for that. I mean, and, and we get off, and you see the picture, and the picture and her experience and everything is the biggest grin you can possibly imagine. And her sisters asked her the other day um, what her favorite ride at Disney World was, and she said, Rock and Roller Coaster. So how do you go from crying in the line, and not just crying in the line once, but crying in the line multiple times to that is the, my favorite ride? Really, it's just kind of where your focus is. You know, if your brain is on, I don't know what this ride is, and I don't know, it seems kind of scary, it looks kind of tall, I don't know what's going to happen, everything's kind of nervous, this makes me scared, I'm going to cry. But you go through with your dad that once, and it's a little bit, a whole lot scary. You do it again, it's somewhat scary. You do it a third time, it's a little bit scary. But every time dad takes you on a ride, and then in the end, you're like, that actually was fun. Then eventually, you just on your own get in line with dad. Because my focus isn't on this uncertainty of this thing that seems scary, but my focus is on a dad who always seems to lead me to fun. Life is uncertain and scary and we don't know what to do and we feel overwhelmed. But the more that our eyes and our focus can be on a God who loves us so much, he seems to always lead me towards life. So we have a focus and an anxiety problem because we're trying to figure out what are the right combination of rules in order to get it right. And it just seems like I can't and I get more stressed. And he says, why don't you look to Jesus? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. And that just doesn't make me any less scared. But why don't you try it and see what happens and build the trust that will come from that? And he continues to kind of explain what this is going to mean. Verse 5. Put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in, in the life you once had, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, God, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So take your focus, stop thinking about what's happening here in this world, but put your focus on the bigness and the greatness of God. And then what needs to happen next, once you do that, you need to put to death, this is kind of interesting imagery here, put to death all of these bad things and clothe yourselves, so put to death this, clothe yourselves and put on these other things. But if you'll notice, all these things that he lists, things like, Anger and greed, impurity, lust, malice. Those aren't, those aren't things you do or don't do. Those are internal character qualities. And he says replace them with kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, quality. Not that these are be things, not do. These aren't, these aren't rules. He's talking about character. And ultimately, that's what he's saying. You need to change your focus. And we need to focus on character before works. Character before works. It's not about what you do. He's talking about who you are. These are internal qualities. There are things in you, greed, immorality, impurity, lust, anger. There are things that you just, not that you do, but are just part of who I am, part of my character. He says, those things need to die. And instead, you need to be clothed, surrounded by love, compassion, forgiveness. Again, character qualities, things, things that you are. Even the things that could possibly be put into the category of a do-don't kind of rule, like lying or sexual immorality, all of these things fall into this same category, which is, I see things that I want and I want them to be mine. And so I will take what is I don't want. And if I don't have it, if I don't have the things that I want, it makes me angry, it makes me frustrated. I'm going to lie to you to get it. I'm going to lie to you that I've already have it. And if I see things sexually that I want, I just take the things. And rather than trusting God's view of sexuality, I take the thing that I see and that I want based on how I feel or that I want it or what I think feels natural to me. And so I have this attitude of greed and anger because my focus is here. And the more my focus is here, I get, I get my brain around the things that I want and I think I deserve. And why do you have it? And I don't have it. And I'm going to get it. And if I don't get it, I'm going to be angry. And, he says, and this, this is what happens to us. 
The world is overwhelmingly angry because we are so focused on what I think I am entitled to and what I want. And if there's anybody or anything that is keeping me from getting what I want or happens to have something that I don't have, and I'm angry, is you got you to kill that. I mean, this is the message you you got to put that to death. Put it to death. And, and, if, and if you're catching this, there's a sense in which you should start to feel a little uncomfortable right now. Because that's a really strange commandment. Put to death the anger and lust and greed that's in you. Because honestly, bro, if I could just do that, I would have done it already. Oh, you you know, I'm full of, he says, you, Charlie, you're full of impurity, lust, and rage, and anger. Yeah, I am. What should I do about it? You should, have you considered putting it to death? Okay. I know you are angry. Have you considered not angry? Okay, well, but instead clothe yourselves with patience. Somebody tells me I need to be patient one more time. I might punch them in the... If it, if it were simple, if it were easy, I mean, I, 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 would have, I would have done it. What he's saying is like, this focus, it's not about what, what I do or, 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 or what I don't do. This is about who I, who I am. He's talking about character. He's talking about this, like, I need to be a better person. Not do different things. I need to be a better person. Like, I don't know how to be a better person. I don't know if I can just make myself be a better person. And, 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 and if we walked away here today, my application for you was take all the negative things inside you and put them to death and replace them with the better things. That would be so deeply unsatisfactory. Like, I, don't, I can't even put my mind around it. And it is in that moment when you feel that, when you feel that the only way you can be successful is to put to death the worst parts of your heart and instead replace it with these amazing positive character qualities. That's the only way that you're going to be able to make it. It's at that point when you feel the hopelessness of that that you realize why so many people would rather follow a rules-based religion. Because there would be something immensely more satisfactory if the application point for today was, and the key to your spiritual life is to never put your Bible on the ground. Don't ever turn the pages of your Bible too quickly. Don't eat red meat on these days. Abstain from drinking alcohol. Be sure you come to church every week. Be sure you're giving God enough money. That's sad. You, you may not be able to think, about, I, can't, I can't do those things. I want to eat red meat every day. And sometimes I'm busy on Sundays and I like my money. But at least you could, at least you could, at least you could put your mind around it. That's, a, that's, that's something that you feel like I could accomplish. Putting to death the anger and impurity in your heart, 
I can't even put my mind around that. Filling myself and clothing myself with patience, I can't, I, I can't, I don't even, I don't even know what that, I don't even know what that is. And so it's simpler to just have some rules. But again, the problem is, then you start following these rules and you become convinced that somehow if I follow these rules, it's going to lead me to the right spot and then it doesn't. And then you become dissatisfied. I need more rules then. Or you give up completely. Or lastly, in this last part of this passage in Colossians 3, Paul says this, verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So essentially what he's saying here is, hey, instead of trying to follow all these rules, you need to put this to death and clothe this on. And the way that this happens, you need to let the peace of Jesus, let it, let this peace of Jesus rule in you. Let his message just kind of dwell and fill among you. And you talk to each other about it and you sing to each other about it. And the peace of God and the message of Jesus, these things just start to permeate you. And I think the best way to say this, essentially, the only way you can do this, this, have this character, it's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus that this can happen. And the way that I want to describe it to you is this way. You need to make the voice of Jesus louder, louder in your life. Jesus' voice needs to be loud in your life. He's in there. He's promised it. It's the great mystery. Let the peace that he is offering, let it win over the anxiety and the frustration that's in there. Instead of the words that you're telling yourself, let the message of Jesus' words kind of be there. There are voices in your head. I know it sounds crazy when you say it that way. There are voices in your head when you are at a crossroads about whether or not you're going to do something whether or not you're going to take something that you shouldn't. And you sit there and it's right there. And there's that one voice that says, you deserve it, just take it. That's not the voice of God. But you listen to it and you take it. And that voice gets a little bit louder. And the crazy thing is that the very next thing that that same voice says is, look at you, you just took that. You're disgusting and unlovable. But we get confused because it seems different because it couldn't be the same voice. The same voice that told me to take it is not going to make me feel bad about taking it. And so then we think this second voice is also Jesus. This is Jesus. This one's Jesus. Because that's what God does. He tells me how disgusting I am for taking that thing. Let me tell you this. You need to make sure you're clear. As you're trying to distinguish the voice of God in your head, shame, shame will never be the voice of God. You may get a, bro, not cool. That was a bad idea. You're hurting yourself. But that shame that you feel, that's not God's voice. But because we want it, we take it, this voice gets louder. Because we think this one is God's, the one that makes us feel terrible. We listen to that one, and it's that voice that gets louder. But the voice that says, I love you, listen to me, be mine. You're my son, you're my daughter. 
I want you to have life. There are times in your life where you have heard the voice of God and you need to make that voice loud. And finally, we get to practical things. Well, how do you do that? Well, Paul says it pretty simply. All the things, many of the things, at least some of the things that, 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 that we instinctively know are the right things to do. He's like, you need to, be, you need to hear more of God's Word. You need to be reading it more. You need to hear people teaching God's Word to you. You need to come to church and do that. You need to come to church and sing these encouraging words to each other. You need more of God's Word. You need more of Christian fellowship. All of the, a lot of the rules-based things that people do, but it's based on a completely different idea. It's because I want God to do something great and I want to give Him a louder, greater presence in my life because He's the only one that can change my heart. I'm not doing these things to earn the pleasure of God. I'm not doing these things because God demands it. I'm not doing it because it's the only way I can make Him happy. I'm doing it because the God who loves me, I'm up here and He's big and He's great and He loves me. My focus is here and I don't want to be this person anymore. I want to be this new person. And if I allow His voice through His words, through encouragement to get louder in my life, in this transformational thing. I mean, it happens. Because the deal is, we've got the order wrong. That's really our big deal. And this is what Paul is trying to get the Colossians to line up to. The first thing that you need to make sure you understand is that Jesus is so much bigger. You need to be captivated and fascinated by the God of the universe and His presence in your life. And then you need to understand this great mystery of Jesus inside you and how you can allow Him to do something. He's going to transform you. And then, and only then, now I can do the things that I know that God has called me to. We're trying to short-circuit this. If I, if I do these things, then I'll be fine. And that never works. And it leaves us frustrated and alone. But God is great. Jesus is amazing. The gospel is overwhelming. He will come into me. He will transform me. And now I have the freedom to be the man and the woman that he has called me to be. Let me pray.